0: Hello and welcome to Euromoney at COP26. My name is Lucy Fitzgeorge Parker. I'm the editor for sustainable finance at Euromoney magazine and I'm your host for this podcast in which I'll be bringing you news and views from the UN climate conference in Glasgow. It's the start of the second week of COP26 and sadly I'm no longer in Glasgow myself. I've had to head down south again and I'm back at my desk in Brighton covering the conference remotely. However, I've got some great interviews lined up this week with people who are still on the ground in Scotland, starting today with Chris Ego, Chief Investment Officer for Core Markets at AXO Investment Managers. I asked Chris, what had been the highlights and lowlights of COP for him so far?
1: Um, it's a great question. It's not one that's easy to answer, uh, because I think it depends on your level of expectation coming into 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 the event. But I think there's some highlights that have been... Quite encouraging, uh, you know. We've had more countries uh, publish their NDCs, uh, and you know, probably India stands out as one well, which was uh, a little bit better than than expected, even though they haven't committed to uh, net zero by 2050. But some sort of the intermediate targets are, are quite encouraging. the The deal on methane is is good. Uh, the agreement on coal is good. It's a big step in the right direction, but Perhaps we needed to see a few more countries uh, join join that agreement and, and we really need to see action as well in terms of not supporting new coal fired power plants. I think that would be encouraging but there's things that I think we're still waiting to hear about we haven't finalized the deal on the you know emerging markets money uh, there's been talk but no real commitment to a carbon pricing uh, yet and you know, what slightly worries me at a very top level is what appears to be a lack of trust amongst some of the superpowers. You know, the Biden publicly chastising China for not turning up is not a great optic when what we all want to see is more collaboration uh, by the big countries and arguably the top four emitters in the world. None of them have committed to 2050 and, and net zero. There's some wrinkles in each of their NDCs and Uh, And they're the countries that need to provide the real leadership.
0: So of those developments that we have seen so far, which do you think will have the biggest potential implications for the financial sector?
1: Um, Well, I think I didn't mention in my first answer, but obviously Mark Carney's uh, initiative of the Glasgow Finance Alliance is great because it brings together existing coalitions. but really puts the financial sector together in a very focused way on net zero and where we can start to account for the amount of of assets that are already under management that are being pledged towards net zero investing and if you're part of that you are committed to achieving those goals and setting those those targets so i think that's really encouraging we were moving in that way anyway but the you know the creation of, of g funds is a is a good step forward and i think some of the discussions around that so more push to get standardized disclosure from companies around the tcfd framework um you know even in the uk before cop 26 richard shunate was hinting that that could be mandatory at some point as well which i think is encouraging uh similarly with the uh, with the pathways and the net zero targets using a, a standard SVTI type approach. I think that's all of that contributing to the kind of increase in, in transparency and clarity that as investors, we we really need to align our portfolios with uh, with the Paris goals.
0: Well, talking of GFANS, there's been a lot of talk about the headline number of $130 trillion in assets now signed up under that initiative. There's also been quite a bit of criticism about exactly how credible that is, given various criticisms I've heard about potentially double counting in that, about uh, the fact that some of the institutions signed up really at the moment have very, very limited amounts of their uh, balance sheet or uh, their assets under management committed to net zero. I mean, how credible do you think this is at the moment?
1: Well, I think some of those comments are, are fair. There is definitely double counting and, and, and some organisations won't have committed uh, that much uh, today to, to a net zero target. I mean, at am, we've, we've identified about 40% of our eligible assets are consistent with a net zero target. So uh, you, would, you wouldn't expect everybody to be at the same place. Uh, what I think is really important is the intention. And, you know, if you sign up for the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative, you're signing up to commitments that, you know, will put you on, on the right path. So, I, I'm, you know, I think the criticisms we'll forget about. I think the intention is, is really important. And if it puts more and more global capital on that path, then that has to be a good thing.
0: Fantastic. Well, talking about the net zero commitments again. Uh, you're in Glasgow actually for the World Climate Summit, which is a two day event for investors that's running alongside COP26. I believe you're speaking to us from a, a back room somewhere in the Hilton Glasgow, where it's where it's being held. Um, what will be the biggest challenges for asset managers, do you think, in making the next steps towards net zero?
1: I think my the, the key points that I've taken away from all these sessions I've attended, and I've attended, you know, sessions uh, which have been Sector specific, so something on uh, transportation, on energy, on uh, steel, which is an uh, important sector given its emissions, and on uh, clothing and, and textiles, which was was really interesting. The companies that are represented here are doing great. You know, their plans are just what we want to see, and th- th- they're credible, and they're the they're the climate leaders or the transition leaders in in, in that respect. Uh, one thing they all say in common is uh, they have to work together across their sectors, uh, but also that they need government help to provide a, a level playing field or to uh, provide more clarity in the regulatory environment or to do things with taxes and subsidies that will accelerate uh, the transition. The other observation, which is you know slightly uh, with my fixed income, you know everything's always bad head on, is yeah, all the good people are here, but the bad people aren't, you know. And there's we're not focusing on bad practices here. We're focusing on good practices by, by kind of construction. And there is a bit of self-congratulation going on. And there's not enough calling out of, you know, the laggards and what still needs to be done and the pressure that needs to be uh, borne. But from an investment point of view, I think what I've heard is there's so many opportunities to invest in companies that are changing their business models quickly and that are developing new technologies. And what I think is is a really kind of interesting feature of all of this is the kind of cross-sector collaboration that is needed. So it's okay for a car company to shift to electronic vehicles. That's one thing. But if the green electricity isn't there to to power them, then that's another thing. So companies in different sectors are starting to work together, starting to have common goals. And I think that uh, will kind of bring about a multiplicative kind of uh, effect which again from our point of view allows us to differentiate between the leaders and the laggards in in the investment universe and uh, I think from an active uh, investment management point of view that's quite exciting.
0: Well, again, you mentioned regulation and the fact that various companies in various sectors are talking about the need for regulation. What about in terms of the financial sector itself? Would you like to see more support from policymakers for change in the sector? And if so, what sort of thing would be most helpful?
1: Well, I don't know if I want any more just now because we're just getting (laughs) used to SFDR and the EU taxonomy. And it looks as though we're going to get a similar regime in the UK pretty soon i think what we need to see is is more standardization globally of those kind of regimes that are looking at investment products because uh, however difficult it, it is to kind of comply with sfdr and, and we've spent a lot of work ensuring that 80 you percent know, of our eligible funds are, are either article 8 or 9 but you know that it's some tough decisions were needed to to comply um uh, what we'd like to see is is that kind of level of of governance uh, applied in a standardised way globally. So we'll be looking to the US and and Asia to kind of follow in the footsteps of, uh, uh, of Europe.
0: Okay, great. Well, I know you're very busy and I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but one final question. We're into the second week now. Do you think we'll see any more interesting, exciting announcements out of COP this week? Is there anything in particular that you'll be looking out for or focusing on?
1: Yeah, I think the one big thing is carbon pricing. Uh, We need something on that. It will help provide a clearer market mechanism for accelerating the transition. And we know it can be done because we've had, you know, the uh, European trading system in in carbon credits for some time. That's really worked. It's helped lower carbon emissions. Um, If we can get some kind of standardised global agreement on how we use carbon pricing, That will be the single biggest thing i think that can contribute to the transition
0: and i mean just very quickly as i said last question but just one more on that uh obviously the european carbon trading system is a a regulated or a compliance market there's also been a lot of talk around the voluntary carbon markets which do you think has the biggest potential to drive change or which do you think you're most optimistic about driving change
1: Oh, I think it has to be the regulatory market because that has the power of of government uh, behind it and and law behind it. But there is a role for the voluntary markets as well. And, you know, uh, what I like about the voluntary carbon credit approach is that often it involves planting trees and helping the the climate. And and that has to be a good thing.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, uh, Chris, it's been great to speak to you as always. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Lucy. Well, that's it for today. I'll be back with more news and views from Glasgow in our next episode, so please keep a lookout for that. And in the meantime, thanks for listening and goodbye.